Good evening. Welcome to Left, Right and Center. I'm Vishnu Shom on the program tonight as we near the first anniversary of the war in Ukraine. That's on Friday. A surprise visitor to Kiev, the US President Joe Biden. A visit described by the Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky as being the most important in his country's history. The message from Biden was absolutely clear. We will back you for as long as we need to. Welcome words for Ukraine, which is depending on the United States and its allies to supply state-of-the-art weaponry with the war against Russia presently in a stalemate, with reports suggesting that Moscow is preparing for a spring offensive. On the program this evening, are we headed to even more war in the region? What about peace talks? Will that ever happen? Also on the show tonight, Uddhav Thakre today said the election commission should be dissolved and that election commissioners should be elected by people two days after losing the name and symbol of the Shiv Sena, the party founded by his father, Bal Thakre. There's not a single instance where the party name and symbol were directly given to one faction, is what Mr. Thakre said hours after challenging the election commission's decision in the Supreme Court. He's accused the BJP of destroying democracy with the help of democratic institutions. But the real question perhaps is this, is this now an existential survival for the Thakre faction of the Shiv Sena? That's our second debate tonight, coming up at half past the hour. But first, this report on the surprise visitor to Kiev today. A surprise visit to war zone Kiev by the world's most powerful leader. With four days left for the first anniversary of the war, in which tens of thousands have been killed, U.S. President Joe Biden had a stroll down a part of downtown Kiev. His top-secret visit till video emerged comes at a time when questions are being raised in America on the continued economic costs of the war. One year later, Kiev stands. And Ukraine stands, democracy stands, the Americans stand with you, and the world stands with you. Kyiv has captured a part of my heart, I must say. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky said that there was no visit to Ukraine more important than this. What's clear in Biden's message is that there will be no let-up for support for the war effort. In a White House statement, Biden said, I'll announce another delivery of critical equipment including artillery, ammunition, anti-armor systems and air surveillance radars to help protect the Ukrainian people from aerial bombardments. The Ukraine has been demanding tanks from the US and NATO countries as well, also the F-16 fighter jet. After a lot of hesitation and fears that it would further instigate the Russians, Germany agreed to supply state-of-the-art Leopard tanks and America said that it'll back up that effort by transferring its M1A1 Abrams tanks. Russia continues to hit Ukrainian cities by targeting key infrastructure. While this continues to cause immense hardship to millions, the Russian war effort has failed so far in its primary aim, to overrun Ukraine completely. Instead, Russia has lost half of the territory that it occupied since the war began, suffering massive military reverses. This is now a war of attrition, 
who will outlast the other side. For now, there are no clear answers other than the fact that the Ukraine appears as resolute as ever in defending every square inch of its territory, something it's managed to do so far because of the help it's received from countries like the United States. Vishnu Shom for NDTV. So a huge, huge visit, and, uh, and we've got fantastic guests from around the world, from the Ukraine uh, and elsewhere, from Russia as well. Joining us, Professor Scott Lucas, Brahma Chalani over here, Oleksiy Goncharenko, member of the Ukrainian parliament, will be with us in a moment. Azenia Kondratieva is an independent journalist, joins us from St. Petersburg. Alexander Khara, the former diplomat, and Jonah Blank with us as well. Also, Ambassador Esti Devre, thank you all very much for being with us. Um, Alexander Khara, let me come to you. In terms of the importance of this visit, what does it signify? Uh, first of all, on this day, nine years ago, Russia began its uh, illegal annexation of Crimea and the proxy war on Donbass. So that's why we should remember that the war began not just a year ago, on the 24th of uh, February, but nine years ago. And certainly it's a really important visit, and especially in the country. And actually, when um, President Biden was in, in Kiev, in the one of the uh, key squares, uh, there was a siren, iron siren. So it was a sign of, of the war, that we, 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 we're still in the war. So it's important to show the support of the United States uh, as a leader of the democratic world. And as the, the, the leader of, the, of uh, uh, let's say, global community who is not just supporting Ukrainian right for self-defense and the liberation of its uh, territories, but the principles of the uh, based on rules order, because it's not just about Ukraine and Russia, that nuclear power is trying to seize territory and try, tries to erase identity of Ukrainian nation. But it's about the rules that other rough nations across the globe can can apply to their neighbors. And certainly if you are talking about China and Taiwan, yep. it might be a, a global conflict with uh, dire consequences for the whole world. Uh, Professor Scott Lucas, no one is talking presently about a peace plan. We're talking about more weaponry for Ukraine and sustaining the war effort. Uh, why is no one talking about a peace plan just yet? Well, actually, President Zelensky is talking about a peace plan. He actually mentioned it today during the Biden visit. And that is the 10-point proposal that he put to the United Nations yeah. last autumn. Yeah. Uh, let's be clear, and I hope our guests from St. Petersburg will agree with this, you cannot begin to negotiate on peace until you end the Russian invasion and until you end the Russian occupation. Uh, remember that Vladimir Putin has tried to seize part of Ukraine by declaring four Ukrainian regions to be annexed. Where we are with the wider situation is this, that the initial Russian aims, as you noted, have failed. They failed to take over Kyiv. They failed to remove, possibly kill President Zelensky and his ministers. They had to withdraw from northern Ukraine. They now hold part of the east and the south. They are having, as we speak, a last-ditch offensive to try to regain more territory in the east. But analysts in Europe, the U.S., U.K., almost all agree they lack the resources to do so. So let me tell you where we go next and see how everyone reacts. When the Russian offensive fails, it is the question of whether Ukraine can then liberate more territory that has been occupied by the Russians sometimes this past year, sometimes since 2014, in the east and in the south, and culminating in Crimea. And I think what you'll see is, is that Ukraine will have the military potential by the spring and summer to do this, 
but it will be calibrated with the idea of, will Vladimir Putin finally, finally accept the failure of his invasion and sit down to discussions on the basis to an end to the Russian aerial attacks, the killing of civilians, and an end to the Russian occupation and attempted annexation. Zinia Kondratieva, is there any sign whatsoever that Russia may be willing to speak? Because what uh, uh, Zelensky has repeated today is something we've heard now for the last several months. Russia needs to go back. There needs to be an exchange of prisoners of war, nuclear safety is spoken about, restoration of structures, environmental damage. It's a 10-point chart. Is Russia willing to listen to any of that or accept anything? I think at this point, uh, both sides, uh, like there is no platform, uh, there is nothing to talk about. That's what the uh, Russian officials have been stating, uh, you know, commenting on the uh, on that 10 point uh, peace plan. Uh, I think the only, um, you know, movement in these we'll see, uh, we have to see what happens at the battlefield. Uh, and I guess that, that's like, really the, the only uh, thing that matters uh, because uh, this kind of a peace plan uh, is not viable for uh, Russia. But uh, I would just what like to... What sort of peace plan is viable, uh, Zidia, for, for Russia? I'm not the authority to... No, but uh, as a journalist, you know, what, is your, what is your sense? Uh, I, I would rather respond to the previous guest who was talking about the occupation of um, you know, some of the regions, see, uh, you have to distinguish. There are regions that have uh, declared their independence, the rebellious region, you know, uh, and if you go there mm. and talk to them, uh, do you do you think they want to see Kiev uh, there? You, you think you want to see Kiev back? Yesterday, my friends got, Security. you know, shelled uh, by, by Ukrainian missiles. So, I mean... It is such a complex question uh, that, uh, of course, you have to discuss peace plan, but you have to discuss it on the terms what okay. uh, people want there. You know, All right, Zidia, that's an important compare. point. Sure. Uh, and let me just take that to uh, Oleksiy Goncharenko, a member of the Ukrainian parliament. Mr. Goncharenko, uh, how would you respond to those who suggest that, uh, look, there is a 10-point peace plan, uh, but it's a maximalist position. Is there anything Ukraine can do to make it more realistic, something which Russia may think about accepting? Or are we not there yet? Uh, we are ready to discuss uh, any peace uh, negotiations right now. But the only thing, uh, it should be about what, uh, what the subject will be of these negotiations. Uh, we are ready to speak about Russia retreating Ukrainian territory. That's the main thing. Because the most important what's going on uh, in this war of Russia against Ukraine and this aggression is uh, that the international law is destroyed. And it means that tomorrow, I don't know, I, I don't wish this, I hope never something will happen, I don't, but somebody of neighbors of India will attack India in order to take some Indian territories. Or other country will attack other country in the other part of the world. So that's something which we should not except in any way, the world should restore international order. You cannot change borders through physical force. This should be a principle. After this, we can discuss anything else, but that should be the first principle. If Russia doesn't want this, if Russia still wants to take Ukrainian territory, there is no, no point for negotiations at all. Nothing to speak about. 
because that is about international law and international order. Today, Russia is a world criminal which attacked another country in order to take something which is not theirs. That's all. Okay. Uh, Jonah Blank, uh, you know, if you look at what the ground situation is now, though the Ukrainians have recaptured about 54% of the territory that uh, Russia captured since the beginning of last year, I'm not talking about 2014, I'm talking about when this round of the war began uh, last year, even though they've recaptured about 54 to 55% of that, um, the war seems to be in a bit of a stalemate presently. It's been incredibly costly. I'm talking about human lives on both sides. Uh, and yet the West continues to push in weaponry, push in weaponry. Is this because there is a sense that Russia may be planning a spring offensive? Thanks, Vishnu. Um, I think the the real reason is what uh, President Biden says, that as long as the Ukrainian people are committed to defending their territory and their independence, then the United States will be with them. Uh, President Biden sees the fight for democracy as being inextricably linked in the United States, where we have our own challenges, and all, all across the world, where it is being threatened in many countries, particularly Ukraine. Uh, I think one way of looking at this is if one looks through an Indian lens, uh, India has been invaded several times in the past, several times by Pakistan, at least once by China. In no case has India said we're going to simply negotiate uh, without retaking the area that has been seized from us. All right, that's fair enough. Uh, Ambassador Devre, um what role, if any, does India have? Uh, and it's interesting that, you know, that, that uh, the name India came up because there is an expectation. And, you know, I mean, I've interviewed uh, the Ukrainian foreign minister on a couple of occasions. There is a request from Ukraine that, look, you have good offices with Russia. Reach out. Uh, try and see what can be done. Now, is that unrealistic, uh, given what we are seeing as far as the, the, the attitude in Ukraine and in the West is concerned? Well, today's dramatic visit by President Biden uh, in a war zone where there's not a single American soldier um, and uh, the unwavering support that the U.S. has now extended to Ukraine, including the $500 million uh, support uh, weapons and so on. I think that puts um, the situation as far as peace talks or any negotiations uh, in a more difficult uh, state. Uh, India has all along last one year held the uh, view that there should be dialogue, there should be discussion, there should be debate and uh, bring the two parties together. And given the fact that our uh, relations with both uh, Russia, West, as well as Ukraine are good, uh, Prime Minister has been in direct touch with uh, both President uh, Zelensky as well as Putin. There is, uh, in fact, a little strategic space that India has for uh, uh, creating, uh, creating an atmosphere. Uh, I think uh, given the state of uh, differences between the two, uh, bringing, bridging the gap may be difficult. But I think to initially try to build on the test 10 uh, point plan of President Zelensky and the Russians have always said that they're also prepared to uh, start peace process. I think uh, we could really have, um, you know, uh, some uh, beginning in this direction. Uh, this also comes at a time when uh, the Chinese are showing uh, probably greater interest. The 
warning which was given by secretary of state anthony blinken to to the chinese foreign minister uh, at the munich conference that they fear that there will be um, lethal weapon supply by the chinese and the chinese apparently have denied that um, they have apparently also come up with there are reports that they are coming up with some peace plan so i think the world is now moving towards that uh, situation where uh, i think efforts on both sides need to be galvanized and uh, sure uh, an atmosphere for peaceful process can be created mr goncharenko a lot of the fighting that we are now seeing and i'm talking about the last one month or so has been some of the most uh, violent most uh, damaging since the second world war in terms of an offensive in europe could you tell us a little bit about the present situation for example in bakhmut the situation is difficult russia continues to push uh, but i just want to remind you russia was telling to the whole world for years that they have the second strongest army in the world they started the offensive on bakhmut uh, in july of last year today is the end of february it soon will be one year as russia is trying the second strongest army in the world how they call themselves is trying to take one city which is 70000 population i don't know on indian measures it's uh, probably very very small town and even on ukrainian measures it's a small town and russia is attacking this very small town for uh, almost one year and they can't take it so that that shows uh, real their capability they are not capable to defeat ukraine that's the point and that's why uh, even if not to watch it moral of the situation not to watch it international law the whole world wants uh peace because from this war ukraine suffers but other countries too food crisis energy crisis inflation prices everything so the only way russia can't win this war just can't they showed it so the only way for the whole world to stop this war is ukrainian victory so the quicker it will happen better for this we just need one thing to to receive weaponry and we will finish everything just in months all right Uh, Dr. Brahmachalani, would you agree with that assessment? Um, it seems to be a war of attrition at so many levels, uh, at the level of manpower, but also at the level of weaponry. Now we've seen the Russian economy become essentially a war economy, or it's progressing towards that, and certainly in the last couple of months. But in this battle of attrition, how do you place Ukraine, which continues to receive a lot of state-of-the-art Western weaponry, and and Russia, which continues to push in what it's got? Uh, I mean, who do you see outlasting the other? Well, Vishnu, the Western supply of increasingly sophisticated and longer-range weapon systems isn't turning the tide of the war. With the Russian military now focused on holding on to the nearly one-fifth of Ukrainian territory it occupies, time might be on Russia's side. Defense, after all, is inherently easier than offense. It'll, it'll be very difficult for Ukrainian forces to eject Russia from the territory it currently holds. There's also another important fact: cracks in the Western unity over the war are appearing. Last weekend, we saw we saw Western leaders put on a show of unity at the Munich Security Conference. Yet the fact is that some of America's closest allies are increasingly seeking negotiated paths to end the fighting even as the US and the UK 
pursue a long war strategy to bleed Russia. Europe, after all, is bearing the brunt of the fallout from the war. Mm -hmm. And then we also have the Ukraine fatigue in the West, which has begun to set in. In the U.S., the new House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, and some prominent Republican leaders are demanding an end to what they call a blank check for the war effort. It is in these circumstances that Biden paid his fleeting, largely symbolic visit to Kyiv. The visit was a show of support for Ukraine, yet, yet it was a largely PR exercise. But if Biden wants, that visit could help him, his administration, to quietly push Ukraine to begin negotiating a peace deal. A year after the war, all sides are being left with only one choice. Yep. Negotiate an end to the conflict, a conflict that is devastating Ukraine, it's isolating Russia, but it's making Europe pay the main price. So the West no longer can afford a long war. There was a, there's a very good Rand Corporation report of last month, which says that the U.S. strategy of, of uh, prolonging the war isn't a good strategy because a long war is inimical to America's own interests. After all, the supply of weapons by the, by the U.S. is depleting America's own weapon arsenals just when the China threat looms okay. larger. Dr. Chilani, half a second. I know Professor Lucas wants to reply, but uh, Mr. Gontarenko want wants to I reply want to first. Add. Go ahead, yes. Thank you very much. First of all, uh, you are telling about some things like a fact. You said Republicans are telling. I just came from Munich Security Conference. I per personally met with Senator Mitch McConnell, leader of Republicans in the Senate. I personally met with Chairman McCall, leader of the Foreign Affairs Committee in the House of Representatives, Republican, chief Republican on foreign policy. And both of them told me that they think that Biden administration is doing not enough, that they want to give more weaponry to Ukraine quicker, that they completely uh, force support of Ukraine. And they're saying exact things, long-range missiles, fighter jets, everything. Again, these are, these are the leaders of Republicans, real leaders of Republicans. And I met with Kevin McCarthy, too, and he's also supporting Ukraine. So it's just not true. The second thing that you said, West cannot afford long war. Nobody wants long war. I don't want long war, too. But please don't, don't compare with uncomparable. Uh, the GDP of countries which are helping Ukraine militarily, so-called Rammstein format, is $50 trillion. Again, $50 trillion. GDP of Russia is $1.8 trillion. If you will even add to the Northern Korea and Iran, who are helping Russia in some way, it's incomparable with the $53 trillion of the most advanced, most developed countries of the world. So they can afford everything. It's Russia who cannot afford this war for a long time. Professor Scott Lucas, is opinion changing in the United States fast enough to, you know, be of political significance to, to uh, the president? Political opinion in the United States will not save Vladimir Putin. Uh, as Mr. Goncharenko said, and with respect to the previous speaker, uh, trying to identify a couple of far-right Republicans, such as Marjorie Taylor Greene, as representing American opinion, that doesn't work. And even Mr. McCarthy who made his political statement against a blank check has backed away from that. Instead, what we are actually seeing from Congress right now 
is a movement that wants to push the Biden administration to supply the F-16 jet fighters. Now, that may not lead to F-16s, but it may lead to other forms of American fighters, uh, such as the A-10 Warthogs, that could be provided very soon. So I think we need to be realistic here and get rid of two misconceptions that Vladimir Putin has had from the very start of this conflict. The first is that somehow he could split the U.S. and Europe through war fatigue. He could carry out a food war. That didn't work. He could carry out an energy war. That didn't work. He continues to carry out a disinformation war. And there are a few people on the right and on the so-called left who parrot Moscow's lines. But no, by and large, most publics still believe that the starting point of this is this is a Russian invasion. And you need to defend a people that are threatened by that invasion. The second point, if you want to say that lines are static, go ahead and try to do so. But I remember people talking about how the Russian lines were very static and how they had taken all this territory last autumn. And guess what happened within a matter of a few months? Yep. Ukraine took Kharkiv province in the Northeast. It took much of Harrison region, including Harrison in November. Yes. And it is now getting additional equipment. So if Russia does not wish to negotiate, if Russia wants to dig in and think it can hold on to its defense lines, it is in a weaker economic and military position as this goes on through 2023. Time is not on Moscow. Or let me put it this way. Time is not on Vladimir Putin's side. Zinia, uh, what exactly is Russia's aim at this stage? I mean, if the, the original aim was to, to have Ukraine as a proxy state to walk into um, to Kiev itself, that's not happened. That's never going to happen. Let's face it. So what, therefore, is Russia's war aim right now? Frankly speaking, that's a very good question. And one year into the war, I think uh, at least Russian people do not clearly understand what Russia's aim and why, you know, Russia is fighting that war. I think that's the sense uh, in the uh, society, at least a large part of that society. Uh, the, these aims are not really clear. We can uh, discuss geopolitically, of course, Russia... Uh, you know, wants, uh, wants certain guarantees. Uh, but that's just one uh, part of the discussion. But, you know, a very important point I wanted to note, when we, uh, when colleagues are talking about uh, U.S. or Western allies, you know, helping Ukrainian people to protect their sovereignty, freedom, and so on, given that uh, how many people die on Ukraine side, People there from both sides, both civilian yes, and yes, military yes, losses. Yes, of course. Uh, with the war continuing, with the war continuing, with more weapons poured in, you know, uh, I mean, the, the, the population is decreasing. I mean, who, whom are you going to, you know, help uh, support sovereignty? And somehow, uh, this is just a basic logic. And uh, that's why I believe uh, peace, um, you know, peace negotiations are so important and somehow this topic is just neglected. Whatever we see happening is a huge PR, and especially on the Ukrainian side, Russia, you know, is not that successful on that uh, front, on the PR front. Uh, of course, it's in the position of an aggressor, so that's understood. But uh, whatever you consider the uh, weapons supply, uh, the negotiations, the constant visits of um, Western leaders to Kiev, uh, it's it, it's a good PR effort, and it just helps the world to continue longer and longer. You know, that's that's actually an important point. And, and uh, Ambassador Khada, would you like to take that? You know, there is always a Ukrainian assessment 
of the number of Russians who've been killed or the number of tanks, uh, artillery pieces, etc., etc., which have been destroyed. But we still don't know how many Ukrainians have actually been killed. What is that number? Uh, first of all, there is no front where Russia is winning and has been winning at least uh, since uh, uh, summer uh, uh, counteroffensive of Ukraine. Secondly, uh, okay, uh, let's give up uh, supporting Ukraine and let's allow Russia to wipe out Mariupol, Volnovakha, or commit genocide like in Bucha, Irpin, and other cities. So it's just, you know, the fault uh, logic of not supporting the country who is trying to protect it from the genocidal power, who is trying to erase identity and the, the very statehood of the country. So I, I believe it's uh, just stupid to, to, to push such a peaceful uh, proposition. But yes, uh, Ukrainian side is not providing the general public with uh, the figures of the casualties, and we can uh, uh, understand uh, for what reason. And certainly we can understand the, that this number is quite high. But anyway, it's not high enough uh, to cope with the number of casualties from the Russian side. And certainly it's a figure that is uh, certainly bearable for Ukrainian nation to survive because this is a genocidal war. And we've seen a lot of facts when the Russians are retreating. We find uh, uh, the torture chambers. We find deported, uh, illegally deported kids, uh, Ukrainian kids, and then adopted by the Russian parents. So all those things are falling into the category of genocide according to the international law. So that's why there is no reason for Ukraine to stop and negotiate uh, the, uh, the terms of Ukrainian extinction. Yeah. Um, Jonah uh, Blank, I, would you suggest or would you agree that at the end of the day, it's um, the fact that the Ukrainian people are not, uh, are backing Zelensky 100%. There is no sign of any protest, of anybody wanting peace. There are young people who constantly get recruited and the mood in the cities, and I've spent a fair amount of time over there, is that, no, we, th where is the question of doing anything other than throwing the Russians out? I've never seen anything like this. There isn't an iota of people saying, no, no, no let's end it. Let's figure. That's not public dialogue. One year down the road, that's still not public dialogue. And do you believe that will define ultimately where this war goes? Yes, you're absolutely right. A year ago, most of us, certainly including me, underestimated the Ukrainian people. Most of us, including me, thought that uh, Putin would win his war in a matter of weeks. I'm very glad that we were wrong, and we were wrong not because of the United States or the rest of the world. We were wrong because of the Ukrainian people. The Ukrainian people made their feelings known, and the U.S. and other countries are standing side by side with the Ukrainian people. To put this in a more concrete terms for Indian viewers, after Cargill, India was willing to negotiate with Pakistan, but not at the barrel of a gun. India was not willing to say, we're going to negotiate our national sovereignty while other for uh, nations' forces have taken territory from us. Once they've left, we'll negotiate whatever you want, or we'll talk about whatever you want. But right now, the terms of negotiation are the terms of your leaving the territory that you have occupied. So really the question is for Vladimir Putin. Does he wish to uh, negotiate the terms of Russia's withdrawal? All right. Well, uh, let's see what finally happens. But it's unbelievable that a year down, we're still here discussing this. And, uh, you know, there is no Russian takeover of Ukraine. It's, but it's an immensely bloody conflict. 
with a profound human impact uh, in, in Ukraine, in Russia, and certainly other parts of the world facing food insecurity and energy insecurity and a whole lot of other things. Will there be peace in Ukraine? When will that happen? That remains an unanswered question. As always, I'd like to thank all my panelists for joining us. We're going to take a short break and come back with a lot more. Udav Thakre today said the election commission should be dissolved and that election commissioners should be elected by people two days after losing the name and symbol of the Shiv Sena, the party founded by his father, Balasab Thakre. There's not a single instance where the party name and symbol were directly given to one faction, is what the former Maharashtra chief minister said, hours after challenging the election commission's decision in the Supreme Court. Well, that's what our, our debate is. That's what we are looking at very, very closely. Joining us now... Priyanka Chaturvedi, Rajya Sabha MP uh, and uh, a leader of, uh, of uh, the Shiv Sena affiliated with uh, the Thakres, Abhishek Tripathi, BJP spokesperson, Rohit Chandra Varkar, senior journalist uh, and uh, Krishna Hegde, deputy leader and spokesperson of what is now known as the Shiv Sena. Let me go straight across uh, uh, to Krishna Hegde. Um, you know, the point which is being made is that if you look at... Uh, uh, at what those close to the Thakres are saying, they're saying the enforcement director, the CBI, income tax, they were deployed to split the Shiv Sena, after which they worked to split the Election Commission of India. These are the allegations. Um, in fact, Priyanka over here, I think, referred to it as the uh, entirely compromised institution of India, which was wheeled in to give this treachery a stamp of approval. How would you respond to these very strong allegations? Vishnuji, you know that the Election Commission is an autonomous and independent body. And to cast aspirations on the Election Commission, I don't think is the right thing to do. Mr. Sanjay Raoji said that 2,000 crores uh, funds of transactions were exchanged. I would like, like him to give the proof. Otherwise, there is a criminal and defamation case which can be filed against him. I don't think he knows what he's talking. The other thing they are saying that the Election Commission should, should be dissolved. Election Commission is not made and dissolved at the whims and fancies of a political party leader. So the third thing I, I would like to say is that 75% of the people have left Uddhavji. They are part of the Shiv Sena now. Even in the recent Panchayat Samiti and Zilla Parishad elections, the BJP and the Shiv Sena... Right. Let me just get a quick response from Priyanka to that. Priyanka, the point no, being uh, that they have the numbers. No, no. What number are they talking about? I'm sorry, what, what was he even saying? That 75% of the people are with him? Uh, let's go about the primary membership. Primary membership, 20 lakh affidavits have been submitted to the election commission, overlooked by the election commission. Office bearers, over 3 lakh affidavits, nil from their side, submitted to the election commission, uh, overlooked by the election commission. And the 20 lakh primary membership that I'm talking about, they had around 3 odd lakhs. Now talking about the national office bearers, over 220 Rashtri Prabharis, 180 are with the Udav Sahab Thakre. What is he even talking about? You know, just taking the legislative strength. And legislative strength also is under challenge in the Supreme Court. The entire election commission reasoning is where they have A, decided what the result would be and B, started to find reasons why they are going, going by this decision. They, they say they recognize a split in the party. Let me tell you from 2003 onwards, the constitution, the 10th schedule does not recognize a split. It says that two-thirds of the people have chosen to, uh, you know, say that they do not have the confidence in the leadership. 
they can very well go merge with another party to escape uh, re-election. B, form another party and face an election, face the electorate. So that also, the reasoning gone behind the, uh, the election commission, A, uh, the, uh, going against the 10th schedule, something which is outlawed, where they recognize a split in the party. B, uh, strength, uh, uh, strength of majority, test of majority. Test of majority, they have only gone by the legislator's majority. They haven't gone by the organizational majority, which is overwhelmingly with Uddar Sahab Thakre. Uh, thirdly, this legislative majority is also under challenge and being heard by the constitution bench of the Supreme Court. And what they have done is gone against what C.J. Ramana had told the election commission to do is to continue hearing the matter out, but not, you know, make a judgment on it. Okay, so last just one second, one second, Priyanka, you know. Uh, last but not the least, last but not the least, about this entire constitutional validity 2018 internal party democracy. And the fine ones, election commission talking about, you know, using words like thiefdom, Singh surreptitiously changed the constitution in 2018. Let me bring it on record. Any changes made to the party constitution was in adherence to the Election Commission of India and which was known to the Election Commission of India. You know, a couple second, of points mentioned over there, Mr. Hegde. No, 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 one no, second, no, Priyanka, no, I got no, to keep no, the me. strike rotating. No, no, last, last point, no, no one second, point, I will come back point, to you. Then you can argue as much as you want. I have to leave. I'm, I'm not arguing with the you. I'm point, asking others questions. So if point, you just hold point, on for one moment, point, I, you can't, Priyanka, point, you can't steamroll this. I will come back to you. was very much part of the change in the constitution. I'm not fighting with you, Priyanka. I need to ask the others a question also. You're no, welcome. Please, you go ahead. I no, no, I have many more questions you. for you, but let me, you have raised points. Let me ask. All right. So, Krishna Hegde, so she's left. Well, that's, that's entirely her prerogative. Point, but point, the point, point that point. she did mention over there, uh, there's historical precedence for this. For example, uh, in 2017, when the AIA-DMK split between Sasikala and Palaniswami, both factions took new names and symbols, right? Uh, there wasn't one side which was favored by the EC. Similarly, the Lok Jan Shakti party split between Chirag Paswan and his uncle Pashupati Paras. Uh, that required both factions to use new names and party symbols. So one of the points being mentioned over here is that how is this fair? Vishnuji, if you recollect, there was a uh, Andheri East bipole and both of us got new names and new uh, symbols. So it's not that the process was not followed. But after that, what, what happened was, these people have not given the affidavits uh, in a proper process. Also, they have given affidavits which were jali, which were, you know, fake. And there's a case registered in the Andheri police station against these fake affidavits which were given. Moreover, the affidavits which we have given also... No, no, but what? I'm not talking about affidavits. I'm talking about decisions which were taken by the election commission. I've given you historical precedent, three separate no, I examples. Will, no, I will also right. give you the... So the point when they say that, you know, the EC is biased, they base it on this. Where is the historical precedence? No, there is a judgment of the Sadi Kali 1971 judgment. Also, their own ally partner, the senior ally partner, Mr. Sharad Pawar, has advised uh, Udavji that when he also left the Congress in a minority, he had to take a new okay. symbol. The Congress had the original symbol and the name. Pawar Sahib did not get the original symbol and the name. And he advised Uddhavji that since like I have got the uh, symbol and the name and formed my new party, you should also do the same. But I don't know why they are not willing to listen, listen to the alliance partner. It is up to them. The third thing I must say that this, the, uh, you know, uh, he was talking, uh, Priyanka was talking about uh, majority. Let them come and have a floor test. 
वी विल प्रूव दूध का दूध और पानी का पानी वी हैव ओवर हंड्रेड एंड एटी टू टू हंड्रेड लेजिस्लेटर्स टूडे आउट ऑफ टू हंड्रेड एंड एटी एट एंड इट विल बी क्लियर कमीशन कम्पेयर टू 12 lakh primary members and 700 odd office bearers of the shinde faction so the point which was mentioned is that look we have the numbers and the support um is there any validity in that argument you think uh vishnu the points that you are making are being raised by the uddhav thakre group yeah. of shiv sena yeah. and uh, some section of the media is also kind of asking questions over this so today as you know shiv sena has taken the issue to supreme court and the court has asked them to uh, you know come through proper channel or uh, file proper documents and that case that dispute will uh, go on for, for a long time but but uh, but uh, the, the 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 point uh, to which i want to draw your attention is that in the next week that is on 28th the uh, session the budget session of maharashtra assembly will start and uddhav thakre's group is likely to face a major fire from uh, eknath shinde group because today eknath shinde's group has announced that they will be issuing a whip which will have to be followed by uddhav thakre as member of uh, this uh, the council uh, legislative council and also aditya thakre and others who are members of the uh, uh, who are mlas member of right. the assembly and if they don't do that if they don't do that they stand to be suspended you know that's going to be the drama that's going to happen while the supreme court hears the case on the issue that you mentioned Uh, whether whether uh, you know giving away the symbol to one faction is valid uh, is just or not that in fact uh, that's the key point in court but uh, the, the the next battle is going to be in the assembly within a week and then sure. of course during the uh, municipal polls but just to the point of what happens in the supreme court abhishek tripathi this is the Please key issue can, uh, that look if me. there is a hearing in the supreme court to look at the potential disqualification of what 16 odd mm-hmm. mlas right then isn't this decision by the election commission premature see election commission has taken its timely decision i don't think why uh, it should be questioned it's an autonomous body uh, uh, but so let supreme court come on its own time but the what if those 16 mlas are disqualified so no no the hearing is on in supreme court let's no supreme i'm just court. asking you what if they are no what if they are if they are disqualified there will be by election I, i mean there is nothing more we can we can say on that but let supreme court first take a decision but i want to add on to something uh, vishnu the problem that uddhav thakre sena is facing is we just saw a while back how priyanka chaturvedi and her attitude was so this is precisely the attitude of of uddhav thakre sena that has been uh, you know doing the rounds for last uh, over two and a half years and three years that we have been witnessing and the reason why the collapse of that party and the collapse of the entire kingdom that we have seen so it is very important to understand uh, this that why is this happening election commission has taken its call uh, uddhav thakre uh, sena has gone to supreme court to challenge this order they have a full right to do that so let's wait for supreme court for its verdict abhishek uh, the other point is that uh, according to the shiv sena according no, to i have to leave please now because okay i, I just wanted to go across to abhishek trip i just yeah. wanted to go across to abhishek for one more uh, quick uh, you know question the majority Sorry about this. according to uh, the shinde group 
uh, is nothing but an example of horse trading, allurement and coercion. Uh, if the apex body to regulate elections in this country doesn't analyze these issues as what they are arguing, then politics will be nothing more than a numbers game. The point being that, look, it's not just a numbers game. There's an issue of propriety here as well. Since 2014 to 2019, when the BJP and Shiv Sena were together, the same set of MLAs and the same set of uh, people uh, who, who are in Shinde Sena right now were there together. Now, what happened in 2019? Why did this happen? There's a problem with Uddhav Thakre and his family. I'll say it openly. The, the attitude that they have given to their MLAs and member parliaments, we all know here in Mumbai, is very difficult to face. It's very difficult to tolerate because everybody is their own right, our MLAs and our member parliaments and our leaders. So if you give them this kind of attitude that uh, that uh, Uddhav Thakreji has been given all through to these people, it is, see, when, when there are numbers now, you talk about house trading, Onikan, it happens for 8, 10, 12 MLAs, not 40, 45 MLAs. It is very important to understand, go back to the root cause. Why is this happening? Why okay. is that everybody wants to leave Thakre family? There has to be a reason. Why does why they don't want to accept Aditya Thakre as their leader and a cabinet minister? Then, so idea is to understand he, what is the root cause? Uh, why is this happening? Uh, uh, people talk about horse trading. People talk about uh, uh, case-related, uh, uh, you know, pressure and all of that. Every 14, 45 MLAs, they don't have cases on them. All right. I just wanted to ask uh, Rohit Chandravarkar. Rohit, uh, is it true that Udav Thakre is now fighting a battle to keep up the morale of, of his party workers? Uh, he's having Shiv Senek camps. How important is this, uh, you know, given that he's lost the logo and the name? Vishnu, today uh, Shiv Sena removed uh, the symbol uh, from their Twitter handle, the original symbol that they had. And I think it's uh, kind of, I, it would, would not be an exaggeration if I say that it is kind of a do and die, do or die situation for Uddhav Thakre group now, because uh, Uddhav Thakre is seen doing things that he has never done in the last several years after Barasaheb Thakre's uh, demise, last 10 years at least he's controlling the party. He's never been seen going out and, you know, holding these kinds of uh, camps and meeting people and being so accessible, etc. One of the biggest allegations against him is, is, was that he was not accessible at all. Uh, nobody could meet him at his residence and he never came out of his residence. So now he's trying to reverse that. I think what Eknath Chinde group is now doing is that they're going to use this leverage that they have got from the EC uh, in terms of getting the symbol as well as Shusena name and pitch it as a, a bait for uh, Uddhav Thakre group people uh, at the lower rung level. Uh, that is in the municipal level for municipal elections and district council elections, which are happening uh, in the next few months. So going to districts and baiting people of Uddhav Thakre group, saying that, look, we have this symbol now, you should uh, join us. It will be better for you to be with us. So that leverage they are going to use now, and that is going to create a big challenge for Uddhav Thakre. I think this is this again, you know, it comes out as the biggest challenge, like he's facing a series of challenges. I think this is this one is a you know tsunami kind of a thing, a huge challenge for Uddhav Thakre for survival, and I think he and his son are seen you know de doing things which uh, they were never doing. So it's it's very obvious that they have realized what a serious uh, you know uh, okay. question of survival they face now. And uh, but let let's me see just how ask Abhishek, uh, Abhishek one final question: uh, in the politics of the Shiv Sena, the legacy of Balasab Thakre is most important. What's interesting over here is that legacy is being claimed 
uh, by the new Shiv Sena, right? It's uh, not just something which is claimed uh, by uh, Uddhav Thakre. Uh, do you believe that that identity has, uh, has been shifted from the Thakres to Mr. Shinde and his supporters? Most definitely. See, it's very important, again, I would say, to understand the legacy. The Balasab's legacy was something, the thought process, the ideology was completely different. This is what we uh, see in Shinde Sena right now. So that we didn't see. Balasab never wanted to align with Congress. Let's be very clear about it. He had on camera said that the day it comes, I'll shut my party. I'll shut the shop. So it is very important to understand the ideology and the lacks and lacks of followers, uh, which is there in the Sena, will definitely shift to Shinde Sena. It is, it is very simple to understand. There is an ideology. See, the party, Shiv Sena was primarily a party of ideology. Yeah. If the ideology is not there, uh, which has not been followed by Uddhav Thakre, how will you, uh, how will you think uh, that people, uh, he can retain his people? All right. He cannot... We'll have to wait and see what finally uh, uh, does take place uh, in, this, in this battle to try and retain supporters. And uh, as Rohit was mentioning, it is very much a tsunami, a battle for survival. Uh, for the Thakres at this stage. I'd like to thank you both very much uh, for being with us. Uh, this battle of the Shiv Sena uh, is going to be continuing, it seems, for a while. Remember, it does come up in the Supreme Court as well.